Hi, and welcome to Stony Creek Radio, the sermon podcast of Stony Creek Baptist Church in London, Ontario. We're glad you've tuned in for today's sermon. My name is Ryan, and I'll be your host today. If you're listening to Stony Creek Radio for the first time, this series begins on episode 16. As we study Ecclesiastes together in this series, Chasing the Wind, we're going to be wrestling through some of life's biggest and most important questions. And our prayer is that we'll see together how God brings meaning to everything under the sun by means of His Son. Thanks for joining us. Let's jump right into today's sermon. All right, you probably heard a song in the back of your head. That sounds a lot better. I can hear hear it already. To every season, turn, turn, turn. To everything, turn. How many of you remember that song? How many of you grew up listening to that song? All right, look at those hands. Those are the hippies among us. That's who, that's who that is. The way in which the birds write, put, it, put the, the, the melody that they put to the words of this song, I wanted to suggest to you is not how Solomon intended them to be. The birds put them kind of this like chill melody back and forth, like there's it's time for all of this. So just smoke weed and enjoy life. <laughs> That's how it comes across when you listen to that song. That's not how Solomon intended this to be listened to. The music behind the words should be kind of like this angst, like be creating some kind of discomfort among you. Because he's wrestling with the meaning of life and he's looking at time and looking at the vanity of time, seeing that it's all vanity, that we live, we die, we have all of these experiences in between, but then at the end of it all, it's just all meaningless. Everything under the sun is meaningless. And there's this angst in him as he writes this, that this is really not how it should be. And verses 1 to 8 that Cliff just read, they're read at so many funerals. And they're read at funerals of not just Christians, but even atheists and agnostics could read that passage in their funeral and be completely okay with that. And the reason is, we often don't go to verse 9. And verses 1 to 8, that poem cannot be understood apart from what he moves into in verse 9. Because what he's going to do in, in, in verses 1 to 8 is this poem that's put to that song, but it's not, doesn't make sense apart from what he then moves into the prose in verse 9 and on. And he's going to explain for, for us as he wrestles through with this kind of angst and discomfort as to the vanity of time, what his conclusions are as a result. And what he's going to show us is it is all vanity under the sun. And so to find hope outside of that, we need to look outside of under the sun. We need to look outside of that which can be found under the sun to an eternal God who is holding all things together, who is working all things together for good and for his glory. So that's where we are going this morning. That's where we're going to wrestle with here this morning. Uh, we have um, at home, we've been looking at whether or not we should move or not. We have six kids. We have family of eight in a home of three bedrooms plus one in the basement. Uh, the problem was, I mean, part of the problem with Trey coming, my son is, he's the only boy. And so it's going to come a time where he needs his own room. So we have two rooms for the other 
five, it's the math, right? Five girls for two rooms. So we've been thinking, should we move to a bigger house or should we try to make it work? And so my wife just this week bought some dressers so that they can have their own space. And they're kind of these tall dressers about this high, pretty narrow, so we can fit a few of them in the room, two of them she bought, so that each kid can have their own space. So they got delivered and they came in a box about this flat and this long. And I know many of you put together Ikea furniture before. This was like Ikea plus. This was, I opened up the box and I started to take out the pieces and there were so many pieces. Yvonne, my, who's my wife, if you don't know that, Yvonne just looked at me and practically started laughing. <laughs> Not so much laughing as smiling, like there's a lot of pieces to this. And I began to look through all of the pieces, and there's pieces like I've never seen before. At least Ikea, they kind of, they help you with a few things. This, no help at all. It was just, here's all the pieces, here's some spacer pieces to put here. And I began to look through the instruction booklet, which was like as thick as the Psalms. And I started to work through it all the way to the end. And I started to feel anxious as I'm working through page by page by page until I finally get to the finished product. And I look at it and think, how am I ever going to get there with all of these pieces? So I went back to the beginning and I just need to go one step at a time. I can't look ahead. I just got to go one step at a time. And as I'm putting it together, you begin to see all of these pieces are falling into place. These pieces that I looked at, I've never seen before for a dresser unit before. It began to, okay, that, that, that makes sense. And things started to come together. At the end of it, I have all these pieces left over, and I don't know if that was on purpose. I don't know if I just forgot to put them in. I'm just going to, we'll find out probably in a little while how well they hold up. Well, our life is a little bit like that, only we are not the ones with the guide to show what the finished product is going to look like. We are the ones who go through a number of different experiences and circumstances in our lives. And we build our lives the best that we can. And we, we have hopes and dreams for what we want our lives to look like. But we don't have a picture of the finished product. We don't know how all of the pieces fit together. And this is what Solomon essentially is wrestling with here. That we're building our lives, we, we're building it how we think we want it, and yet what he's going to show us is behind the scenes is the God who does have a picture of the finished product. Behind the scenes is the God who is going to make sense of all of these pieces as they come together, and he is going to build and weave these pieces together into a beautiful picture that only he can see, that we can't see the finished product. And this is what he's going to, Solomon's wrestling through some of this in that poem in verse 8 that Cliff read for us. And you notice in the end of verse 8, it has the word shalom, it's peace. And reading through it, you get to that verse and you're left with anything but shalom. You're left with anything but peace as you think through all of these things that we experience on this life. And you look over that list and there are, there is really no rhyme or reason for why he mentions what he mentions in the order that he puts them in. So, and some of them you look at, some are good, some are bad. But then some are just kind of good depending on the context. There's a time to speak up. There's a time to shut up. Those are right in different contexts. There's a time 
to love. There's a time to hate. You got the good, the bad, but they're not always that obvious. There doesn't seem to be any kind of structure to what he says. The only structure maybe is the fact that there's 28 of them. And so 14 pairs. And so it's in a multiple of seven. And through the scriptures, multiple of sevens represent totality or completeness. So the only kind of structure that may be there is describing the totality of our life. That many of you, if you've been alive for a long time, you've probably experienced all of these things in life. And some of these things, in fact, much of these things are out of our control. And that's likely the purpose of why Solomon shares it the way he does. There's no rhyme or reason to this order as if to say, there's a whole lot in life you can't control. There are certain times when the ball is in your court where you can control what you do and what your reaction is going to be. But there's a whole lot in life that comes your way that you had no control over. At one moment, you could be dancing at a party, at a, at a wedding, celebrating with a friend, their new marriage, and the very next moment, get a phone call that a loved one has passed away. And the moment of rejoicing and gladness turns in a second to grief and to mourning, and you had no control over that. The way life works is not taking a schedule and saying, okay, between 11 and 11.30, I'm going to have happiness today. 11.30 to 12, I'm going to have grief today. Two o'clock, I'm going to get excited. Three, it doesn't work like that. We know it doesn't work like that. There's so much in this life that is out of our control. And this is what Solomon is wrestling with. If so much in life is out of our control, if time is vanity, then how am I supposed to respond to that? How am I supposed to deal with that? And this is what he's wrestling through as he mentions each one of these eight things. There's so much of life that's outside of our control. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how powerful you are. You can think you have a semblance of, 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 of control, but you don't. Elon Musk, the richest man in the world, almost $300 billion, today could have his life taken from him and have no control over that whatsoever doesn't matter how rich you are. doesn't matter how powerful you are. You can think. And we, we try to operate in, in a way as if we, we have control. And yet what Solomon is wrestling with, the reality of, is he just doesn't have control over so much. And not everything is going to go well for you. There's going to be times of grief. There's going to be times of sorrow. Even if you give your life to Jesus, all of that stuff's not going to go away. The good, the wicked, we all experience the same kinds of things in this life. Now, let's just look over this list just a little bit. Time to be born, time to die. Our birth, how much control did you have over your birth? Absolutely none. You are here today because there is a twinkle in your parents' eye. I won't go any further than that. How much control do you have over your death? And then everything in between after, verse, after that verse describes between your birth and your death. There's a time to plant and there's a time to pluck up what's planted. Any farmer can attest to the struggle of that. Got to know the perfect time to plant. Roy Bloomfield, I'm sure, could share you many examples. Roy's a farmer in our church, plants crops. The perfect time to plant can sometimes be a little bit elusive. You think it's the perfect time, you plant, and then there's a better time later or you miss the time. Time to pluck up. 
You do your best, but weather doesn't always do what you want it to do. Time to plant, time to pluck up, time to kill, time to heal. The Old Testament speaks of laws around animal sacrifice, even around capital punishment. Time to heal. We see at times God healing. We see times Jesus healing. And yet even that doesn't always make sense. Remember, Jesus walks into a spot where everyone is trying to find healing in the water and he walks to one. He doesn't walk to the rest. Think, well, what about the rest? Life can be unfair sometimes or feel unfair at times. There's a time to break down, a time to build up. And in reference to buildings, maybe what this reference is. A time to tear down a building, a time to rebuild something new, a time to weep, a time to mourn, a time to laugh, a time to dance. So there's times of kind of feelings of the heart he's describing here. There's different times where those seasons will come to us, and oftentimes those things are out of our control. Times of weeping. Sometimes it's completely out of our control when we get times to weeping. Times of laughing sometimes can come at the most unexpected moments. Time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones. If you are going to plant a garden, you're going to get the stones and cast them away. If you're going to build a fence with stones, you're going to gather all of the stones and build. So there's different times for different seasons, depending on what you are doing. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Speaking of illicit love and legitimate love, there's a time for you to embrace your wife and a time for you to stay away from someone you should not be embracing in that kind of romantic way. There is a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away. Um, The wise person knows when to exert energy and when to not. Time to seek out. We are, once again today, if you were here last week, remember I was talking about a star's glasses and she bites off the lenses and can't find them. Well, yesterday she lost it again and we don't know where they are. So we've been seeking for the past 24 hours trying to find this lens. We cannot find it. There's probably going to be a time where we're just going to have to give up, cut our losses and buy new ones. There's a time for each one of these things. I don't think Star's glasses was really what he had in mind when he said that, but that's the idea. Time to tear, a time to sew. Speaking of mourning, tearing your clothing in grief. There's a time to have a time of grief where you're tearing your clothing. We see this in the scriptures, but then a time to mend it back together again as you seek healing from that grief that you have and have the Lord mend that heart back together. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. Probably things that we've all broken at times, the times when we have spoken when we probably shouldn't have. There's a time to love and to have peace and a time to hate and to have war. And it sounds Harsh to hear there's a time to hate, but we see in the scriptures in Proverbs chapter six, that there are six things that God hates and we are invited with him to hate them as well. And it's not people. What he hates is haughty eyes, a lying tongue, shedding innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes and false witness and and stirring up conflict. Those are things that God hates and we also are to hate. So there is a time for us to hate, and there is a time for us to love. And he comes to the end of this. There's a time for peace. And there's this angst, there's this restlessness about him. But then he asks this question at the end of it all in verse nine, what gain has the worker from his toil? And that's like a punch in the gut. 
All of these things happen. There's a time for this, a time for that, a time for this. And at the end of the day, what gain is there in the midst of all of that? And the answer rhetorically is none. Nothing to be gained under the sun. He goes on, I have seen, verse 10, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better. So you see this language. Notice the times he says, I have seen or I have perceived. This is him grappling with what he has just spoken in the poem in the first eight verses. I perceived out of that poem as I've wrestled with this, I perceived that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, verse 13, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. That's a difficult verse to translate. Probably your translations sound a little bit different. The idea here is that the, the, the balance that God will balance the scales of justice, that one day all things he will call into account. That's going to speak into what he's going to say next. And so you can see him. I discerned this. I have wrestled with this. And this is the conclusion I've come to. And so within this prose, and there's 22 verses 9 to 22, there are within that prose, this explanation, this reason, a number of different comforts and challenges that he mentions in the midst of this. And you can see him wrestling with this, this reality that not everything in life is going to make sense to us. And the reason not everything is going to make sense to us is because we are limited and God is not. We can't see the finished product that God is building. There are certain things in life that we cannot understand simply because we are human and God is not. So we shouldn't ever come to a place where we expect to understand all of life. We are looking through veiled glasses. We, are, we, we have veiled eyes as we look at what God is doing or what is happening in the world. We can't see what God's doing. We can't see the beauty of what God is building. We get glimpses of it. But there will, and there'll come a day when we'll see in all its beauty what God has been doing. But right now we wrestle with this reality that we can't see everything God is doing. We can't see the picture that God is painting. This idea that part of living wisely is accepting that this is true. Accepting that God is God and I'm not. And there are certain things that I'm never going to understand on this side of heaven. I think with, my, with my kids, as a parent to a child, there are certain things your children don't understand that you do. And there's reasons why. Hey, hey, dad, why can't I watch a rated R movie? My friends are allowed to. I'm like, well, your friends' parents must be hippies or something. Why can't I watch this? My friends are allowed to watch this. Well, your mom and I know a lot more than you know. We've experienced a lot more in life than you've experienced. You're going to have to trust us on this one, that it's not a good idea. 
Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? And there are certain things that you just have to accept that your mother and I know better than you. And it doesn't always turn out, okay, no problem then. There's still this whole idea, it's not fair. And it's because your kids can't see what you can see. Your kids don't know what you know. And the same is true with us, except in an even greater way when it comes to God, the eternal God who is beyond time, outside of time. You see him saying that in the last verses we just read, that from his perspective, he can see what we cannot see. And so part of living wisely and living well is accepting that to be fact. But then the comfort in the midst of all of this, you see that verse, God makes everything beautiful in its time. What's incredible about Ecclesiastes, we've been studying through it and God's barely been mentioned, these kind of pop-ups here and there. And yet in these verses from 9 to 22, God is mentioned in rapid fire just over and over and over again. And what we see in that verse that God's making everything beautiful in its time is yes, we can't see it, but there is this reality that in the midst of everything we go through, God is working sovereignly out his redemptive purposes. We can't see it. And you think, well, how can my pain be used for God's redemptive purposes? And if you ever ask that question, look no farther than Jesus Christ. Jesus, whose pain was used by God for the greatest possible good that we could ever experience. God is at work in the ups and downs of our lives. He is weaving the circumstances, the relationships, the events that we experience together as part of his unfolding plan. And there's so much comfort in that. There's so much comfort in knowing that in whatever I go through, God is using that. He's at work in the midst of it all. And then he says that he's put eternity into a man's heart. It's a very often quoted verse. It's put eternity into our hearts. Maybe you've joined us this morning online or in person here, and you are, will you consider yourself an atheist or an agnostic or something along those, use one of those terms to describe yourself. Just what every atheist or agnostic I've spoken to has said, but I still feel, I do feel like there's something missing. If they're honest, there's still something missing. There's still something I just don't quite understand. And the reason they feel like this, and you at one time felt like that, is because God put that there. That he has put eternity in your hearts. Something deep within you knows that there has to be more to life than this. Something deep within you knows that this is not all there is, that it's not just you live, you go through experiences, you die, you return to dust, end of story. There's something deep within you that you know that there has to be more to life than this. There has to be more to even something after death. 
And the reason you feel that way is because God's put that there. And then what he goes into next is eternity on your hearts that you cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. So God's kind of, he's put that there. He's put eternity in your hearts. You, you know there's something missing. Yet you can't have this kind of full picture that we are still limited in so many ways that we can't see that final picture. But God's at work in the midst of it all. But this, this reality that, this, this, this truth that what we experience on this earth is not all there is. Where we are now is not where we'll always be. God's put eternity in our hearts. It's that quote that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago from C.S. Lewis, that if you find yourself with the desire that nothing on this earth can satisfy, nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is you were made for another world. This idea that God has put something in your heart where you know there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than just the vanity of time. Verse 14 says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, look at this, so that people fear before him. Time is something that God has created. God created time like he created tigers. Like he created you. He created time. And the purpose by which he created time, Solomon wrestles with here and comes to the conclusion is so that people will fear him, so that people will be in awe of him. The fear of the Lord is a central concept in all of wisdom literature. The fear of the Lord is, how can you, how can you explain it? There, one of the commentators, commentators I read explained it this way, and I liked this. The fear of the Lord is trembling trust. Trembling trust. There is this sense of trembling that happens when you come before the Lord and you see him for who he really is. You see Isaiah comes into the presence of the Lord and he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. There's this trembling. You see Peter, even with Jesus, after the miraculous catch of fish, Peter says essentially the same thing. Woe is me, I am a sinner. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Depart from me, Jesus, I'm a sinful man. There's this kind of trembling that happens when you come before God and you see him for who he is. The great quote out of Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe with the beaver speaking, Mr. Beaver, who says in response, is Aslan safe? Is Aslan safe? And the beaver says, safe? Safe? Whoever said anything about safe? He's not safe, but he's good. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom we see throughout the scriptures and in the wisdom literature. Fear of the Lord starts with this kind of trembling before him to understand that he is other us. He is completely other us. He is not just a perfect example of you. He is completely other than us. Holy, that's what the word holy means. 
He's other than us. And when we begin to see God for who he is, there's this trembling. But then there's also this trust. And that's where that quote from C.S. Lewis, the, 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 the Aslan quote comes in. But he is good. There's this trust that, yes, he is a terrifying God, but he is the God who is faithful, like we just sang throughout all generations. He's the God who loves us and cares for us deeply. He is the God who sent his son to die for us. So if you ever question his love, look no further than Jesus. Yes, he is absolutely terrifying, but he is good. He is loving. He's given his son for you. Too bad I wasn't speaking there. That would have been like good background music for something powerful. (laughs) But this idea that God is God and I am not should lead us to awe, to be amazed at who God is as he's using all of these pieces of our lives to weave together something that is beautiful and should lead for us to trust him. And you can see him saying and to rejoice in his gifts. Think of God and who he is, that he blesses us at all. That should lead us to rejoice. Thank you, God, for the incredible gifts that you've given to me that I do not deserve. He moves into verse 16 and goes on to say this. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So much injustice in the midst of it all. Sometimes good things happen to bad people. Sometimes bad people thrive. It's a part of living in this life. Sometimes chain smokers live till they're 110. And you who exercise and work out die young. Sometimes life just simply doesn't make sense. And there's injustice everywhere that just doesn't seem to be fair. You look out across the spectrum of life and you realize sometimes life just isn't fair like that. Verse 17, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. But there is a time for every matter, for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. But, uh, sorry, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beasts for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust and to the dust. I'll return. Who knows whether the spirit of the man of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes downward to the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than, a, than that a man should rejoice in his work for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will come after him? And the rhetorical, that's kind of a rhetorical question with an answer that is no one. Who can show us what life is going to be like after him. No one. This is, this is why I would caution very strongly against those heaven tourism books of people who say they've gone to heaven and this is what I saw. Jesus was on a rainbow horse and he was doing this and he was doing that. Anytime we see in the scriptures of anyone who has a glimpse of God or a glimpse of heaven, I mean, Paul gets taken up to the third heavens, he says. He gets a glimpse of heaven. And you know what he says? I can't even talk about it. I can't even put into words what I saw. I'm not even allowed to speak what I have saw. 
You see, Isaiah, woe is me. I can't even speak. The only one where we get any kind of glimpses from John, and that's the one who's told to write these things down for us. Anyone else that we see in the scriptures, it's too marvelous for me to even speak about. We see people, I was dead for 30 minutes, and then this is what I saw. I, I have no doubt that some of them, that's what they saw. I just don't think that's heaven, because oftentimes it's contradicting what the scriptures actually say about heaven. Who can show me what life is going to be like after him? And you can see this kind of back and forth between us and beasts. And you can come to some conclusions that uh, Solomon never intended for us to come to by reading these passages in a way he never meant them to be read. He's saying that we are the same as beasts, but look at what the context is. In the context of our mortality, in the context of we will all die. Just like a beast is going to die, we are going to die. That's the example he's trying to do by bringing forth both of these things. And if anything, he's just simply trying to break our pride. So those who feel very proud, saying you're no different than a beast, make you humble through what he is saying here, that we're all going to die, we turn to dust. Just like the beast, you're going to return to the ground. But notice the mentioning here, of spirits. So yes, our physical bodies are going to return to dust. And yet we have a spirit that does not return to dust. We have a spirit that endures after our physical body turns to dust. And he goes into this question of this, uh, verse 17. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. Ziff to say that we all are going to die and there is going to come a time when we all have to stand before the judgment seat of God. That every matter, every time, every matter of time, every event, every word we spoke, every action we've taken will have its day in court. Every injustice that's been done towards you, the pain that you have experienced at the hands of someone else, that will have its day in court. This is the root of why when Jesus says we can turn the other cheek, this is why we can do it. We leave vengeance to God. We leave judgment to God. There is a day coming when all the wrongs that have been done to you will have their day at the judgment seat of Christ. And that should lead us today to rest in that. To live life being free from feeling the need for revenge. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, the scriptures say. So there's so much freedom in the midst of that. But this reminder here that we all die, but that the way we live, this is all woven throughout these verses. The way we live matters. The way we live matters, not just during our time on this earth, but for all eternity. And the words that we speak and the actions we take, God uses that as part of his unfolding plan. And the reality is the, God gives your actions and your words weight and meaning that he will use them in such a way that it will impact eternity. So there's so much weight in the lives we live today under the sun, that we don't find meaning in the midst of all of these things, but the words we speak, the actions we take, God can use those to impact eternity. 
The words you speak matter. The actions you take matter. What you do with your time matters. And in the midst of all of this, you can see him, he's wrestling with these things, that there's so much in life we cannot control, and yet there are certain things we can control. One of those things is our joy, that we can be joyful. That's a choice that you can make to be joyful, to find joy in Christ that transcends our circumstances. That we choose joy, that we also do good, he says. It's a choice that we make, that we are going to do good knowing that God is going to use those as part of his plan, that every good deed is going to come before the judgment seat of Christ and that what we do matters. Then what we can control is the enjoyment we have from the fruits of our labor. You see him saying that's a gift of God. It's a gift of God that you get to work and you get to see the fruit of your labor from it. And there's a gift coming that when you will see the ways in which God used your time on this earth to impact all of eternity. So how can we know hope? Let's kind of bring this all together as we wrap things up. How can we know hope? How can we know hope in this world in which there's so much we can't control? And this is what Solomon is getting at for us, that the way we know hope in the midst of this world in the midst of all of life's craziness under the sun, how we know hope is by getting out from outside of under the sun and fixing our eyes on the eternal God who is at work in the midst of all things. We know hope when we trust that the God who is sovereign over all is making everything beautiful in its time. Sounds like Romans 8.28, doesn't it? That God is working all things together for good. We trust that that is true. We know hope knowing that all the injustices and pain that's done against us will have a voice at the judgment seat of Christ because they will be judged by him. So you can experience the different times and the different seasons of your life knowing that they're part of a bigger picture that God is painting. You don't see the final results yet, but one day, one day you will, and you're going to see how beautiful that is. And so what, th- what this also does is stops you and stops me from feeling the need to be in control of everything that happens. For some of you right now, maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe your job is on the fringe. Maybe your family is very broken, and there's a lot of brokenness in your life, and, you're, and you feel like you're just clinging on. You're holding on with all you can with what's left. And what the gospel invites us to is to let go. Do not let go of your marriage. Do not let go of your family. But let go of the need that you feel that you need to be the one holding on to all of this. And instead, to let go and surrender it all to Christ. It's the invitation in the gospel that you don't need to feel like you are the one hanging on, but that is Christ hanging on. His strength through you. And number two, how do we know hope? We know hope when we trust that the God of all eternity, the God who is sovereign, will judge every matter under the sun. We can rest in that. Every wrong that's been done will have its day in court. And then number three, And this is where Ecclesiastes points us to Jesus. 
Think in terms of the judgment seat of Christ. And I've mentioned that a few times already. Think of one day you are going to stand before the God who created you. And you are going to have to give an account of what you've used the time that you've been given on this earth for. And how can we know hope in the midst of a crazy messed up world in which we have very little control when we trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, which tells us that when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ and all of our sin is brought before God and judged by him, Christ says, he knows me, I know him, I paid for that. How can we know hope in the midst of a world in which we have so little control in by trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ that makes our eternity secure? That we can have the assurance that when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Because we trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, the judgment that we deserve for the wrongs that we've done, he's taken upon himself. And it makes me think of Galatians 4.4 4, in the midst of all of this time talk, that God's timing is always perfect. Galatians 4.4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that God is at work in the midst of time and at the fullness of time, at just the right time, he sent Christ to die for us that we can have no fear in death. We don't have to fear death because as one who knows Jesus, we know that death is not the end, but death is just a transition. A transition into being with Jesus and waiting for him for that final day when he makes all things new. No more crying, no more tears, no more injustice, no more division. We can trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and know that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he says, come on in. I'm going to dwell with you and you with me forever and ever and ever. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Your son, Jesus, who paid for our sin on the cross. That when we confess our sins to you, you're faithful and just to forgive us through the finished work of Jesus on the cross and that we can have the hope of eternal life with you for all eternity, eternal life because of what Jesus has done for us. And out of the judgment seed of Christ. We have nothing to fear because of what Christ has done. Thank you for the ways in which Ecclesiastes points us to Jesus and what he has done for us. Thank you for the reminders in this passage today of the fact, the truth that you are at work in the midst of 
so much that we just don't understand. And we look across life and we see the divisions. We look across this world and we see anger, so much anger. We see so much happening in this world and we ask, what, why are you allowing this to happen? What are you doing in the midst of all of this? And to be reminded today, what a blessing it is to be reminded today that you're at work in the midst of it all, that you are making something beautiful, far more beautiful than we could ever see, that you are at work bringing your redemptive purposes to pass. And we look forward to that day when we will see with unveiled eyes the beauty of who you are, the beauty of your sovereign plan in this world as well. So Father, thank you for all of these truths. I pray that as we look to you, that we would see just how great you are, that we would see how other you are from us. And just cry out how great thou art. Cry out what a blessing it is to know you, the great God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and to know that you have chosen to bless us with so much. We have so much to be thankful for. And so, Father, I pray today that each one who's joined us here this morning would know hope with no hope through a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. With no hope that in the midst of this crazy world, that you're working all things together for good. And on that day, when your son, Jesus, returns, I pray that as many as possible would see that day and experience that day as the great day of joy and not a great day of sorrow and fear. God, we thank you for who you are. Give us a glimpse of your bigness. Give us a glimpse of your greatness in these days. And may we give our lives over to living for you. And God, that you would continue to use the words we speak and the actions we take to draw others to your son, Jesus Christ. This is our prayer to move forward from here. God, use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been encouraged by our time today in God's word, we'd love for you to connect with us on social media and let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at SCBC London. Until next time, I'm your host, Ryan, and this has been Stony Creek Radio. God bless.